So I was thinking, how does one deal with transition? That's what I try to answer today with Dylan C., my friend from Penn. We start with his journey from Canada and then discuss his transition into the workforce. After, we talk a little bit about how sports have influenced his life. Then we end with thoughts about how to live the best life, not necessarily the good life. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, Dylan. Hey, Bass. How's it going? It's going. It's going. Um, it is pretty cold outside right now, but um, I'm surviving. I mean, probably not as cold as it is where you are, which is Boston. Yep, Boston. Uh, preparing for the same winter storm that you're preparing down in Philly. But as you know, I'm also from Canada, so this is nothing. Yeah, exactly. So I guess for those who are probably listening and don't know who you are, my first question for you is just kind of tell me a little bit more about yourself for those who might not be familiar with you. Yeah, sounds great. So, Baz, I mean, I know you from going to college at Penn with you and graduating in 2016. But I'll give you a high-level background of me. 24 years old, living in Boston, working in product and tech, some of the tech companies here in Boston. Uh, grew up in Canada. Born and raised was the first in my family to be born outside of China and grew up there my whole life. And after high school, was lucky enough to, to get into Penn and kind of went from there. So, you know, when I was growing up, a big part of my life was obviously school, but also hockey and playing a pretty pretty high level of competitive hockey there. But when I started thinking about university and college, whether it was in Canada or the U.S., decided along my parents who were definitely pushing for the academic route to, to go to school for school. And that's kind of what ended up bringing me to, to Penn. At Penn, I, I did finance and operations going down the business route. And I was also playing a lot of hockey as well, although a little more for fun. And spent the last two years at Penn as, as the captain of the ice hockey team there. So. While I was at Penn, I, I thought I was going to go down the typical route of what people typically do at Penn, which is either consulting or banking. And I tried both for two different summers and you know, good experiences, but I just didn't feel like I was making much of an impact with what I was doing. And I just felt like a tiny part of a much larger machine, and I didn't like that. So I, when I was coming out of school, I was looking for something where, you know, smaller company, my brother has a background in tech as well. So that's kind of what drew me there. and. I've gone down this product management path for the past two and a half years, and I'm loving it ever since. That's awesome to hear that you're you're really kind of loving what you're doing as opposed to what you were studying. I think when I think back on my own you know college career, as you know, like I was all all over the place with what I was doing at times, and so I think at some point I kind of just it clicked to me like, oh, I I like being around people, I like thinking about people and all that. So let me try my hand at psychology. And though my first job outside of college was not fun, after that, doing marketing and, and using some of that psychology background has been helpful because it's stuff I like to do. So I'm, I'm glad you're pleased that you get to use your skills. That said, tell me a little bit more about kind of the transition then from like you're in Canada, you're, you're playing hockey every day. I feel like culturally that's just like, you know, you, you wake up and you're like, hey, look, let's go play some hockey. But, you know, now you're, you're, you transition to Penn and being in the U.S., is there a culture shift? I mean, it's only what, a couple hours, probably plane ride or, or but, you know, how's that been the last couple of years? Yeah, I think it's there's been two transitions and they've been difficult in different ways. I would say the harder transition was actually moving 
from home when I was 18 to come to the U.S. for the first time to live and then also start college. It's a lot of change. Okay. And then not as hard, but since leaving school, transitioning to working in the U.S., I think that's been a little easier. It's just different because, you know, I'm not in the shelter of an institution of college, right? I'm, I'm kind of on my own and having to think about things that I hadn't thought before. So I'll go through the first one. I mean, you're saying culture shift. I think a lot of people will be surprised given how close we are that I had a pretty tough time with some culture shock when I first moved here as an 18-year-old, anywhere from big things to small things, right? So I'll, I'll set aside the typical like adapting as a freshman in college that everyone can kind of relate to. But for me, America, in terms of how people think about things, is extremely different from Canada. And that permeates through politics, how you live your daily life and what you worry about to just like basic instincts and manners. Not that Americans don't have manners, but I think it's just very different. So I'll give you a couple examples. Like politics wise, not to say that Canadians are apathetic about politics, but it's, I couldn't tell you uh, when the last election was. Our system is extremely different. And I think our policies and the people who implement our policies are much closer together than you think. So, you know, in America, it's really like Democrats versus Republicans, left versus right. The way I always describe it to people here is when you have uh, our two big parties are called the liberals and conservatives. It's really almost like they're both socially liberal and one is just more fiscally conservative. So in practice, you know, it's really not that much of a difference. And and so people don't put as much passion and it's not as big a part of their lives as it is here because it's not as black or white which side you choose. So adapting to that in the U.S. is very different and seeing you know, this is stuff that literally divides families, right? And that's not something I was really used to uh, observing when I was back home in Canada. That's interesting that you say that. Do you see, because I I think I agree with you on that, not going too, I guess, political or into my political background, but it's very interesting to see how polarized things are. Even five years ago, I would say, I've grown up in a place where it's been mostly liberal. I've also been in a place where it's been mostly conservative. Um, it's really interesting that no matter where you are, people are they're they're for their home team kind of. Now, do you see, I guess, outside of the political sphere, do you see that kind of mentality take shape here here in America? Like, I guess with like tech, like working in a company like that, do you see that kind of it's all or nothing polarization, or is it strictly just with politics? Because that's I, I'd be intrigued. To hear from your perspective, I think I see it a much less in the business setting because I think people are much more aware, regardless of your beliefs and what might work or what doesn't work. It's much quicker to see the results of that. So if you firmly believe that your way is right, people are much more open in business setting to say, like, all right. And this is probably more so in the tech space than maybe a more traditional corporate job, but all right, let's try it your way. We'll get some data back. We'll see how it performs. And if, if it doesn't work, like we'll acknowledge that and we'll try a different method. And I think that's much more commonplace in, in the workplace right now than it is in, in the political sphere. So, you know, people are definitely very passionate about their ideas uh, mm-hmm. and you can definitely get a sense, especially my first job of the highest paid person in the room will typically get the first say, but if they're wrong, they're willing to admit they're wrong and, and try something different. So it, it's definitely different. Interesting because my company is, you know, we work in higher ed and so it's also a global company where, you know, my boss up until last year was in the UK. And so you're not just dealing with people who are remote, but you're dealing with different 
kind of upbringings and different viewpoints of things. And then you're even dealing with like different nationalities and different cultural upbringings. And it's really interesting to see how people, how my boss or even my director thought about things. Whereas, you know, here in the US, I think it's just kind of like, yeah, the best idea wins. In the UK, I felt this is just my like five second kind of culture embrace, but it felt like uh, people were politically trying to uh, save face at times. They're like, okay, I, you know, I think that that's a good idea, but they're not really telling you what they think about the idea. So yeah, no, it's, uh, we, we can be very impassioned about things. Yeah, which I think is a good thing. You know, I, I won't say, I think what I was saying earlier about like politics in Canada, I, I will say like, I think Americans as a generalization are probably the most ambitious people in the world. And it's probably why they're in the spot that they are. It, it's good. You know, it's good to have that ambition. That's fair. Thank you. Well, I think <laughs> I can continue going through some of the culture differences because it's way bigger uh, culture shock than I thought I would have when I first moved here, if you want. Yeah. Well, I actually had a, um, we were talking earlier, uh, I guess, talking a couple of weeks ago. You know, actually, let me pause <laughs> for a second. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm thinking whether or not how much I really want to go into like politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? Let's not. Let's not. Just for, I, I think that's an interesting conversation to have, like outside of this. I don't know if I want to fully go into it, but um, yeah, yeah, for sure. If that's okay. Yeah, I think I was just trying to say, like, it, it's just viewed differently regardless of whatever your viewpoint is, you know? That's fair. Okay. Switching gears. So, um, you know, think about the transition a little bit coming from Canada to the US and, you know, how that was a lot more difficult than. Uh, necessarily moving after school and, and getting settled there. What would you say has been one of the most important lessons that you've learned since graduating high school? Because I think with moving, you it just brings in a mix of people and different ideas. And sometimes you learn things about yourself and learn things about others. Yeah, I, I kind of grouped this in with some of the transition stuff. Like, I think the single most important lesson I've learned is that and I, I get that this might sound ludicrous coming from someone who's only 24, but I think things generally work out for the best uh, and as they should. Um, you know, I can give a couple of examples. When I was first transitioning to Penn, I, you know, a lot of the culture shock I experienced in terms of uh, little things, like a microcosm of it was one of my first weeks at Penn, which is stopped at 36 and Spruce waiting for the crosswalk and there's no cars coming. So everybody just goes, my group of friends, jaywalks across the street <laughs> and i'm standing there like an idiot waiting for like oh well it says i can't go yet i'm not supposed to go what are you guys doing and now all my friends are mad at me uh, but that's just how it was right that's what i was used to and then the flip side of that is i got so used to jaywalking that went went home to canada uh last year and same situation right crosswalk says don't go there's no cars coming at all uh and so i just instinctively go across and my friend doesn't follow me and I turn back as I'm walking, I see this mom turn to her little girl and say, no, you can't do what that man is doing. That's not right. Oh my God. And um, <laughs> you guys turned me into an American already. Uh, I think like that's just one small example. For me, I felt whether it was stuff like that or even like little pieces of my accent that I, that I realized I had, I felt the need to change who I was at the beginning to, to fit in more and feeling that that was what's was going to make things work out. 
And then when I left college, I so I started signed up for a job at a small health tech startup in Enfield, Connecticut. Pretty remote place. Really was thinking that they'd move to Boston. And I moved I moved there, went to Connecticut, rented a house to two other people who were starting and bought a used car because you need one in Connecticut. And the first day I'm there, I'm like excited to start my first job out of college. And the COO comes up and tells me, hey, we have uh, some financial problems and you actually won't be able to start. So you're just going to have to sit tight, let us work some of this stuff out, and, and we'll, we'll see what we can do. Wow. I ended up spending a month in Enfield, Connecticut. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there, but... I've never been there. <laughs> in the time that I was in Enfield, Connecticut, I ate alone at a Denny's twice. So I don't know if that's descriptive of it, but it was it was a tough month and I, yeah. I struggled a lot with it. And they came back after the month and said, hey, look, we can only give you half your pay, no benefits, which for me is, as a Canadian citizen, I kind of needed. But I also just didn't see what I was going to get out of it at that point. And so I went on this two-month journey to Philadelphia, San Francisco, and to Boston to find a new job. And for me at the time, it was extremely difficult, right? I'm seeing all my friends start their first jobs start to get responsibility and do really well and be really excited. And here I am, I haven't started yet. I don't even have a job. So yeah, it was hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. My dad be like, son, this is going to be fine. Like just focus on finding a new job and know that it'll work out. And I didn't want to believe it at the time. But, you know, I ended up in Boston uh, through a long search. I decided not to go to San Francisco at the time and ended up in Boston in a small company. And I just left that job uh, a month ago, but I spent two years at that company, learned a lot, made a lot of great friends and the company actually in public. So that was one example for me where I started to actually believe that, you know what, you know, it might be really tough to say to someone in the heat of the moment, but it, if you follow and work really hard, things will work out as they should. And you just got to hope for the best. Yeah, that's really inspirational. And it actually reminds me, a friend of mine from high school, his name's Tyler. He, you know, chose to submatriculate and, and take it, you know, get his master's degree. And then he figured, he realized he's like, I don't want to do dev stuff. I don't want to be a developer, but he still wanted to work at a tech company. And so he found himself literally like without a job for months, just looking. So it's, it's yeah. interesting where, you know, you have this position where you're like, okay, I can either as high school football coach calls it, put your head in the tank, kind of, uh, succumb to all the pressure and, and what's going on around you, or you can kind of look at it and say, hey, this can probably get better. This can, this will probably be for a reason. I will probably figure this out later, but looking back on it, it always looks like, oh, things happen just the right way so that I can be here. I've uh, kind of grown with this one, and there's a really great quote that I first heard, actually, when Obama used it at McCain's funeral. Uh, which was, it's a Hemingway quote where they say, today is only one day in all the days that will ever be, but what will happen in all the days that will ever come can depend on what you do today. And I think that was like mm -hmm. the attitude I had for a long time where I put a lot of pressure on every decision I made. There's a lot of merit to that. And so I thought like whatever decision I had to make at the time was going to be like, not life or death, but it was going to change fundamentally my path. and. Mm -hmm. I think through like the experiences I've had over the past two years since graduating and even at school, it's yes, like it will change it, but it's good to remember that I think in, in general, like you're going to be okay. 
you're allowed to make mistakes and and course correct later on. And so far, I've just learned that things typically work out as they should, right? You're in a new role. Congrats. Thank you. Just trying to connect it to kind of your hockey prowess and whatnot. Do you feel like, because I know for me, while I was like not working and whatnot, I kind of thought back to what my football coaches or, or my other sports that I played, those coaches would say about perseverance and, and just being determined. I think it did help. Would you say that maybe in, not in this instance necessarily, but just in general over the last couple of years, has your your athletic background helped you kind of get through some of these hard times? Or at least has the community of like, hey, I could call up one of my teammates and like, you know, talk to him and see how he's doing. And, and that's just enough. Like, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's so many things I'm so grateful for from my background, having been able to, to be lucky enough to play sports and, and play with a lot of great people and great coaches. So there's a lot to fall back on. And I don't want to say that there's lessons that you really can't learn in other situations. But for me, I almost think like sports, no matter what sport you play, you're put in situations where you can practice all you want, but you're you're going to have situations where you just got to react, right? You don't have time to think about it. You just have to use your instincts, react, and you're going to make mistakes. That's just acknowledged by everyone. You can be the best player in the world. You can look at professional sports, right? It doesn't matter if you're LeBron James or, you know, from my background, like Sidney Crosby, you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. And I think that was something, there's so many lessons that that I've learned from sports. So I'll just like run through a laundry list of them, I guess. But a couple of the big ones, the mistakes one was big. I used to be quite the, you know, you hear about the 80-20 rule and I felt like I was probably a pretty big perfectionist, especially in like middle school where 95 on a test, it wasn't enough. I had to figure out what the other 5% was. But in sports, you know, I've made countless mistakes at this point. But what's more important to your coach, to yourself, and to whoever's supporting you is that you learn from it. Uh, you might make the same mistake again, but you keep on working at it until until you, you improve the next time. And that's, I think, something that's really important to understand to put perspective on it is that, look, you're going to make mistakes. The more important piece is how you bounce back. I think another big one for me was just that in, in those kind of situations, and I've been in locker rooms with people who you know love to make speeches and they have their place and they have their time. But I've always felt like actions speak louder than words. And that's something that really manifests itself in sport is, yeah, you can be in the locker room talking all you want about, you know, it's a fourth quarter, you got to make that big tackle or you got to go block that shot. It doesn't matter if you're down 5-1. You know, you can throw in all these buzzwords too, but it really shows when you just go out there and do it, right? It speaks so much louder when, you know, you might have this rah-rah speech and then you disappear when you're actually on the ice around the field or you can say nothing and just be the guy who's making the play no matter what the score is and I think that was a lesson I learned too is sometimes you just need to let your work let your actions speak for themselves because if if you can't back up what you say then your words become meaningless and that's a really tough situation to be in yeah wow I think not to interrupt you or anything but those two right there I'm like oh um (laughs) I I would say personally I'm still working on accepting or coming to terms with the mistakes in my life just because as you know college it was not necessarily the best of times it was fun i think but there was you know both positives and challenges not necessarily negatives but definitely challenges and i think i'm still trying to come to terms with that just kind of let that lie you know let it rest in the past and kind of move on from that and then 
you know, in terms of action speaking louder than words. I, I, I think immediately back to like being in my high school locker room and we always had a couple of guys that would be the raw, raw guy. I definitely am a raw, raw person. I like to hype people up, but not necessarily like, oh, look, you got to do this. You got to do that. Where there was guys who did that and <laughs> like didn't play. Yeah, or like, yeah. you know, when it came time to make the big play, they didn't. And so I, I, def- I definitely agree. Yeah, something something I fall back on with that example too is one of the greatest coaches I had. He was uh, in the Canadian military for a long time. He was like a tank operator, and uh, my first year with him, I was super intimidated by him in trials because he just would yell at you. Like, not I wouldn't say he would have verbally abuse you, but I, as a sixteen year old, my parents were not thrilled with his language, and so he's a really tough guy. Right? He's been through a lot, and one of the examples he used when we were in training camp was. Look, I've, I've been in tanks in Afghanistan, and there's this massive guy, like 6'7", 280, wow. looks like the be-all and end-all of soldiers, and looks like I'd follow him into anything. And then when stuff actually happened, and they were in the same tank group, he crumbled. And it was up to the guys who were under his command and who wouldn't necessarily speak as much to actually take control and, and get out of that situation. And his kind of example to that was... You know, sports is obviously a small piece of that, but in real life, and I, I can, I struggle to find a more dangerous example th- than the one he gave us. You know, it, it really is in the end up to who can execute on what they say. And so when I fall back on it, it was my first year, and I guess he recognized that in me to give me a leadership position, and that is something. That's kind of when the lesson became very ingrained in me. You know, if he's going to recognize that in me, like who am I to say that? I, I can't really argue with that, right? He's been through a lot more than I. That is really cool that he trusted you to be a leader and kind of, you know, he was like, I can tell you everything, but if I put you in a position to either succeed or fail by, you know, leadership, um, I guess by action, then it kind of, it, it, it does hit home, yeah, closer to home. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You alluded to, it seemed like overpromising. And I think, or at least backing up what you say you're going to do. Yeah. I know for me, I think part of it comes from like, I want to help people uh, or at least, you know, being at work these last few years, I always want to help out on different projects. But I've realized in, in through reading and, and just learning and whatnot that I can't do it all. And so I, now I've been making a, a very concerted effort of, of not trying to overpromise and really to, to really fall back from some things that I normally would be like, yes. Instead, I'm just kind of saying like, you know, let me get back to you or even sometimes no. Do you see yourself doing that now? Especially given that you said you, you found yourself as like perfectionist in your, you know, scholastic and, and uh, academic career. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter what situation you're in sports. You can't do everything yourself. Right? You have a team. And if anything, if you try to do everything yourself, you end up putting your teammates in a worse position. You hear it all the time when you're watching sports. It looks like they're all playing like individuals trying to do it themselves. I've definitely learned a lot more in work and it translates. You know, as a product manager, you're working with a lot of different organizations and you you can't drive things on your own, right? You need to rely on the support of all different groups of people, whether it's like sales, your engineering team, design team, customer success, what have you. And they all are the experts in their own areas. Uh, just like sports, right? If you are a quarterback, you're relying on your receivers and your running backs and your offensive line to do their jobs, which they are have been granted the expertise. Like they're this 
area experts. So you have to rely on your team to help you succeed as a team. And I think that's true, whether it's on the field or in the office. And, you know, we didn't necessarily mention it explicitly when asking about the lessons for sports, but that's just one that you can't help but notice when you play sports. Yeah, definitely. I've seen it on the field, at least where you were, which is funny why I haven't learned it, or I guess why I'm I'm (laughs) just now implementing it, but where you see usually, uh, especially in football, usually when mistake happens on defense is because someone wasn't doing their job and trying to overcompensate for someone else. And then it's like nine times out of 10, it's like some, you know, the safety was, you know, like, oh, I'm going to do the cornerback's job or the cornerback was trying to do the linebacker's job and not his. And, you know, that one out of 10 times they might, they might make a great play, but that, you know, most times they're, they're really not and they get burned. Yeah. But uh, maybe switching gears a little bit to less about sports, but just uh, about life in general. But aren't they the same thing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, right now in, in, where you are, I think, you know, it's been a transition. You're in a new role and everything. You're still in Boston. But um, how do you go about your life? Kind of like how, how are you making sure you're doing the things you need to do on a day-to-day basis to kind of make sure you're in the right place to live your life to its fullest? It comes back to... I- and you know me well enough to know that you know, even doing something like this, I've never been afraid to to talk about how I feel. And that for me, this past six months has been a really good transition for me. And something's happening in my personal life. So going through a breakup after a long-term relationship helped me realize, you know, I'm a person, kind of like you mentioned earlier, I spend a lot of time thinking about how to help other people and how to, how I can help other people be their best. And I think in reflection, it comes at the expense of what can I do for myself too? And like, listen to myself about what I want, what kind of person I am, the things that I enjoy. So today, you know, being able to focus on that a little more, I think what helps me be happiest and do the best in my life, whether it's at the office or in my personal life or just whatever I might be doing is be fully present. It's really easy to, to be be somewhere, but not really be somewhere if you're like being on your phone or thinking about something else. So making a full effort to be present, whatever I'm doing. And I've always been someone who, no matter what it is, I want to give my full and best effort into it. Otherwise, I don't really see the point. But also doing that, always taking the time to to reflect. And I, I know it sounds really cheesy, but take the time to think about how stuff makes you feel. I'm a big, big proponent of based on stuff that happened when I was was younger, never being afraid to talk about your feelings, right? Especially when it comes to mental health. The best way to to go through stuff and, and to really like overcome it is to not be afraid to talk about it. It's it's okay to not be okay, to not be happy about something. And so yeah, as I go through life, making sure I always set aside time for myself to think about it and you know, reflect on it and, and make sure that I'm doing things that are making me happy. And if they're not, understand why and, you know, just avoid the things that don't make you happy. That's important. I think I, I agree with you 100%. That's something, I, again, I'm, I'm just learning or just seeing in life now. I think because of maybe because of my own upbringing or like my family and, and culturally, I think it was always weird to talk about just like stuff, like to talk about your feelings, especially as a guy. Yeah. Um, my brother will always be like, oh, toughen up, you know, toughen up. Yeah. <laughs> And that gets to you, I think. I think that gets ingrained, not just for me, but I think for other young men or, or people in general. And so I think it is 
something that is I've seen in the mainstream kind of taking shape a little bit more so. But I think there's a lot, lot more progress that can be made. Like uh, Mac Miller's passing, it seems silly where it's like, oh, like you have this celebrity like overdose. You know, everybody's like, whoa, like that. That's the thing that really you know changed you. But um, you know that, and then also passing of of several friends in different circumstances, as as you know, you're well aware, Dylan. But like that, you know, has really opened my eyes into saying whether it's just like sending a, a silly text or something to someone, letting them know, like not only talking about my feelings, but also sharing those feelings with others and expressing how I feel about others to them. Because, you know, as you get older, it's like, whoa, like this is, this, life is like very fragile. <laughs> and yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, sorry to co-ops your point, but I think it just made me think about that too, expressing how I feel to others. No, I, I think it's so important. Uh, I've seen it, you know, I, you know, what happened when I was, was younger is one of my best friends, her, her younger sisters committed suicide. And prior to that, I think it was just, you know, similar to what you said, right? It's a lot of life's tough. Well, get a helmet, you know, stuff like that. My brother would say that all the time to me. <laughs> uh, he still does. So, oh, man. <laughs> um, but if you have, if, if you're struggling through something, it was kind of the attitude of, you know what, like, so are the people. So why are you any different? And that, that was turned into this movement of saying, look, it's nothing. It, what's on the surface may be hiding a lot of what's under underneath. And the only way to really get at a lot of that is, is to be open and talk about it. Because if doing that can help just one person, how could you, how could you not talk about it? Right. And it's really hardening kind of like the movement now, especially with, amongst youth and I see it back home is this environment has completely changed. There's so much talk and, and resources being put into programs that encourage young people to talk about their feelings because it's not, it's just better for, for you to be able to talk about it. And it's not, it's not easy for everybody to do that. You know, some people are more, more willing to than others. And it's kind of breaking the stigma around admitting that you're not happy. You're not okay. is completely normal. So. Yeah. Probably one of the last things I'll say about this, but like, as, as you know, we both went to Penn together and who I, I, I'm used to actually have the count, but almost at least uh, I would say a dozen people between us starting school and graduating. So came and in, in, in to depression and, and uh, ended up dying because of suicide. Mm-hmm. And, and because of that, you know, mental health challenge uh, presented in a environment that is, notorious for being high pressure um, and and so I, I i see they're making steps at school yeah, and whatnot yeah. and i you know i'm glad i think i definitely think there's probably more they can do or i think there's a better understanding that needs to be had but my hope is like for places like penn or or even um i think in workplace culture too is probably the next next place that people really need to step out and say okay wait Am I really thinking about the people around me? Am I thinking about, you know, like we were saying, am I thinking about myself in a way that is healthy? Yeah, transitioning slightly off of that, what kind of, what's your fears? Like what keeps you up at night? Oh, that's a good one. Um, how existential do you want this to get, I guess? As, as existential as you want it, I, it's a bit, I leave it very open-ended because I, <laughs> I love hearing the different responses. I think I asked somebody outside of this, uh, like, oh, like what's your fears? And they're like, 
spiders. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> All but, right. Well, surface level, terrified of heights. I have a lot of nightmares about that. Fair. <laughs> On a more real level, I think one of the biggest things that keeps me up at night, uh, and this has happened. It can happen like on the drive to school, I remember in high school, or even today, like when I'm going to bed. I am always afraid that I might have let someone down in something that I did, whether it was inadvertent or not. You know, example might be like, hey, like I might have done something that I felt was really good at work, but I might not have thought through every single person of this impact. So let's say like, oh, I've released this cool new product feature and it's going to be great, but now there's a customer success person who has to deal with an edge case. And now his customer is really angry at him because he doesn't have an answer. I hadn't thought it through. Like that's a tiny detail, but for me, that is really scary because that's someone else's livelihood that it's on me that I let them down. And that's a small example, but I'm always, you know, in a, in a team setting, you know, maybe I didn't do my part as thoroughly as I could have. This kind of speaks to the, not necessarily being a perfectionist, but trying to be as detail-oriented as possible. Yeah. So that's one of my biggest fears. Having been part of a lot of teams and being in a role where it's much about, a lot about relationship management, I'm always afraid that I might not be supporting the team in the best way that I can and someone is relying on me and I might let them down. That's a tough one. Wow, that's huge to hear. I think, uh, I guess people talk a lot about like, oh, I don't want to you know, hurt anybody or anything, but to hear like, like actually you you care about people in a way that you don't want them to you don't want to a disappoint people but you also don't want to be so inconsiderate in a way where that negatively affects someone and you're just kind of you know going through life like hurting people like that from the business sense even too thinking about that i would never in the scope of like the the you know client success or customer success person i would never think of like how is the product feature going to affect them so that's really cool to hear on a, I guess, in a similar vein, what motivates you? Is it a person? Is it, you know, you watched a, a film one time and you're like, this is the greatest film ever. Like, like I think early on in my, which is, it's weird because like looking back on it now, somewhat problematic, some might say, but like Fight Club, I was like, oh, yeah. everything is BS. Like you kind of just have to make your way in this world. That very much influenced like a lot of my teenage and I would say even some of my college years of like, oh, I'm just being very like hedonic and, and whatever brings me the most pleasure, just do it. But that's a that's a long aside. Anyway, uh, what motivates you? I think two two main things for me. I, I, it's hard to boil down to two, but two things I think about a lot. The first is I'm not necessarily motivated by, I, I don't know how to put it, like having my name in lights to like being recognized for stuff like glory let's say i'm more motivated by being able to improve on what i've done so like in in high school um you know there's kids who are like i did pretty well in high school academically but i there's like two kinds of people where there are people who are like oh i just got my text test back like how did you do because i want to know if i beat you that kind of thing yeah. and my attitude was like oh th- i feel like i did the best i could have this is better than what i did last time there might be things I can improve on, but like if I felt that I did the best that I could relative to myself, that's what motivated me. I wanted to just keep getting better. And it never mattered to me to be the best person at something. Realistically, like there's always going to be someone better in something, right? So yeah. what motivated me was to be the best version of myself. And again, this is going to sound super cheesy, but just to keep improving. On the same vein, 
another piece of that is also you know my family background like my dad my parents immigrated to Canada from China in I want to say 1992 so a couple years after my brother was born right before I was born and as I've grown up I've really listened to them talk a lot more about what that was like and things I didn't really appreciate when I was younger uh, now that I'm growing up and can have much much deeper conversations with my parents so you know talking about how hard it was to live in a tiny apartment really going paycheck to paycheck with a kid you know that's an that's an experience that i they didn't really talk about you know coming to a new country having to learn a new language new culture it's drastically different i talk about my culture shock you can only imagine what that was like for for my parents and then the rest of their family was half the world away and not knowing what the future is going to hold that was something very eye-opening for me and then even going back to their childhood you know they had to walk my mom had to walk an hour to and from school every day and talked about like getting bullied and and how hard it was to to think about their future in a country that was undergoing a lot of very scary change at the time i think my like my grandparents lived through the cultural revolution and they talk about it very little so you know all goes to say like they had a very difficult time to get to this point and i feel very fortunate and when i think about like my life so far that you know i i didn't have to go through a lot of that stuff i've lived i'm very grateful that i've lived a very comfortable relatively speaking life that that kind of hardship has has brought them to be able to give me and for me that's very motivating because how can that not be motivating you know, yeah. I, I want to do the my best for myself, but I also want to say like, whether or not you, my as my parents are going to admit it, like I want to show to you that like all of that paid off, like all of your hard work, the sacrifices that you had to make to move here, little things like driving us to school every day, that that all pays off in the end. So that's kind of my motivations um, for a lot of things. I mean, I, I wouldn't say like a Zach seem kind of upbringing but in a situation where you know my brother you know came from a background where he didn't have much and then reversed that kind of fortune and so he's he's done pretty well for himself but also i find myself because my mother you know she she made sacrifices and, and whatnot to help me out in addition to my brother i, I think the two of them really I've done so much for me over time. Now I'm like, oh, like I want to show you that I'm, like I'm not just a excuse my language, but a little, little shithead. That <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys raised me right, and that I'm able to make a change or in, make an impact on the world. So I, I I agree with you. I am I am so far removed from that goal right now, but I I think uh, yeah no I, I it's nice to hear when people are, talk about their families and, and kind of that background being an impetus for kind of their their drive. But my question to you, one of my final questions to you, rather, is do you think there's such a thing as a good life or as the good life? I mean, and if so, why? If not, I'd love to just hear you expand upon that. That is really tough. <laughs> I, tr- I try to bring the best, best questions. Yeah. I think like the reason that's a tough question is everybody, everybody's value systems and perspectives are all completely different, right? They're, they're shaped by the things that they've gone through, how they grew up, their situation. There's so many different factors in it. So it's hard to, I, I know I, I can't sit here and say, yes, I think there's a good life and this is what it is because that's my perspective. So 
I, I'm going to say like, no, I don't think there is like the good life, mm-hmm. but I think what you define as your good life is just, you know, the examples I think of like I, when I first graduated college there were people who like got married right away and mm-hmm. I'd be like, why would you do that? That seems so fast. And like, how does that make any sense? Like, what about your career? That's the things that I was thinking about, but that's not really what her value system was, right? She, that's what she valued. And that's what made her happy and so i think to answer that question like who am i to say what someone else's good life should be so no i don't, I don't think there's a good life it, it really depends on for someone to live their good life if you're doing things that make you happy that fit your values that it feels like is driving you towards where you want to be and whatever that might be that's that's a good life and for me like i'm still i'm struggling to figure out what what that really means for me so that's a really insightful one yeah uh i was actually just gonna follow up with uh asking like what does it look for you what uh three bedroom house uh truck and what 2.5 kids (laughs) (laughs) uh i've gone through a lot of this thinking i think let's say like you're catching me around the coming out of like a quarter life crisis that was inspired by ending of a long-term relationship and thinking about moving and switching jobs like it's a lot to go on right I, I don't know a big part of me has always thought that no matter what that I'll end up moving back home because there's something about being home no matter where you're from that is it's hard to describe it's home I get I'm I'm yeah. home now I'm like I'm in Philly Philly's my home and I'm back here I think that's important right in, in the far future like it, it's hard for me but I definitely see like I don't know how I'm gonna get there yet but you know, seeing like a family and kids and a, a life that's you're still fulfilled by what you do in your professional career, but also like it's balanced. And the truth is like, I have no idea if I'm in the right career path yet for that or if I'm in the right city, but uh, I'll figure it out, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think uh, I'm still figuring out my value system. I think many people are, I don't know why I had a conversation with a teenager recently. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, I don't just, I'm not talking to kids much these days, but they kind of seem to have things figured out. They're like, this is what I value in my life. And that's wild. Um, And then I know people who are 70 years old and they're still like, yeah, I don't know what I'm really doing. I don't know what I want out of life. I'm like, well, you'd live most of it already, not being smart, but you know, so that's, that's a scary thought. Definitely. Yeah, it Um, is. I, I think it's okay. Like, it's okay to not know what you're doing. It doesn't matter when, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. When I figure out what, A, my good life looks like, and B, uh, where I am on that path, I will definitely let you know. Um, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> but um, I guess still, that's probably a good place for me to, to stop. Is there any other advice that you probably want to bestow upon people out there listening or any last words to impart with people uh i think and i talked a little bit about this but life moves so fast and for me like it's been a looking back at it, it's like a blur since i started college it seems like it just was yesterday when we were still on campus and here we are almost three years out of school like oh don't remind me <laughs> i know like it, it moves so fast and if you it get you get so involved in the day that sometimes that can be lost on you so from speaking from like the last six months of being able to spend more time on this, like try and always take time to to stop and just think about, 
how you feel and like reflect on things because again it's just so easy to to just let life take you for a ride and hey it's a really fun ride right you go so many cool places and different experiences but sometimes you just need to take a minute and stop and and think like one wow like this has been incredible and there's some things that i need to to address and that i need to like think about deeply and if it's making me happy so i know it's like pretty deep and not it's it's hard to find the time to do that but being able to do that i think is so rewarding cuz not only do you realize how you can find things that make you happy and more things that they'll make it better but also just admire everything that you've been able to do it, it's definitely incredible thank you for that i don't think about that often i'm trying to get better at but i appreciate that viewpoint so i will definitely do some reflection because i i keep forgetting that's been 3 years but until then thank you for just coming on and talking about life and i really appreciate it but yeah until next time i will probably see you uh when you're down here here in philly for you know alumni weekend if not though i will definitely be talking to you soon thanks bass you too appreciate it all right cool see you later man and that's the show please let me know what you think by leaving a review or writing a rating, as that will help others find this podcast. Thank you for your interest in living your best life, and not necessarily the good one. Until next time, live, laugh, and learn. having to learn that's a really bad voice crack apologize i'm um, having to learn <laughs> it's okay